Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, but let's bow before the Lord. <clears throat> Our gracious God, we ask in Jesus' name that you would open this word to us. We reverence your word. We submit our minds and hearts to your word. But if there are those who do not, we pray that you will grant to them and to us repentance, faith, and that if there are those who are lost among us this evening, that you would bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we read this passage, help us to pour contempt on all of our pride and to stand before you dressed alone in the righteousness of Christ, depending completely upon the merit of the Savior, not upon anything that we will do, that we have done or ever could do. Not even spirit-produced works can justify, but only Christ and his righteousness, imputed to us and received by faith alone. May the great theme of this book grip our hearts and change us and transform us into Christians who understand what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, we will read to the end of the chapter. This is the Word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, Boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree, those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now the Apostle Paul has summarized the gospel in glorious but compact ways already in chapter 1. 
In verses 1 through 4, he has emphasized the humiliation and exaltation of the Savior. And last week, we saw what is really a summation of the great theme of the book on justification in verses 16 and 17, in which the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And we saw that if we do not understand what righteousness means in this passage, we will not understand the gospel, and we will not understand what Paul is teaching in this epistle. What he has in mind here is the imputed righteousness of Christ that is received by faith alone. He's dealing with the great theme of justification by grace through faith. Now... The Apostle Paul, in this section of chapter 1, through chapter 2, and a good deal of chapter 3, brings us into some of the darkest passages in Holy Scripture. It really is dark. It really is. As he describes the sin of sinners, the Jew, the Gentile, in this passage, the Greco-Roman world. The reason he does this is because he is out to demonstrate the need for the gospel, both Gentile and Jew. We both, Gentile and Jew, have the same need, even though sin shows in different ways. But the Apostle Paul knows that he is not capable of demonstrating the glory of the gospel if he does not, first of all, demonstrate the depravity of man. Our society believes that man is basically good. Our society believes in the basic perfectibility of man. This is largely the result of our society's commitment to biological evolution, taught in most of our schools, believed by most people in our culture. But Paul does not believe that man is basically good. Paul does not believe in the perfectibility of man. Paul believes in the total depravity of man and that man is a sinner, fallen in Adam, in need of a Savior, and without that Savior, he will continue to fall deeper in his sin and into his depravity. The temptation in expounding this passage is to run to news reports and to point uh, to those reports and say, well, don't you see everything that Paul is saying here we can see uh, in our culture now We see it in our news reports every day, but I think that's easy for us to see. I'm not going to dwell there. Um, I want us to resist that temptation because you know it. You see it all the time. What I want us to do is to get a good grasp of this text, and then we're prepared for whatever we see in the news, and we're prepared to understand the gospel of grace better. So let's begin first by seeing the steps of the sinner's defection from God and fall into sin. Or if you will, let's see the sinner's sinful ignorance. That ignorance is spoken of in verses 18 through 20. Notice how he puts it. For the wrath of God is revealed, you hear the word revelation, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made 
So they are without excuse. The Apostle Paul says that God has clearly revealed himself and that man sinfully suppresses that truth in his unrighteousness. There is a sense in which no sinner knows God. No sinner knows God savingly before he's regenerated by the Holy Spirit. But there is a sense in which every sinner knows God. That is to say, eternity is written upon our hearts. God's revelation to us and within us is clear. God's self-revelation he makes plain to us is absolutely clear. Look at verse 19 again. For what can be known about God is plain to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived so that they are without excuse, he says. And in verse 21, he says, they knew God. And so God's revelation is clear, but man rejects that clear revelation. He suppresses the term kateko, essentially means he pushes it down. He knows it's true, but he suppresses what he knows to be true. That's every sinner born into this world. One way or another, we are truth suppressors. In verse 19, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Actually, it's in altoids, in them. That is to say, there is revelation in nature. God has revealed himself. His divine attributes are clearly seen in nature. But man suppresses that. But within our own makeup, because we are created in the image of God, though fallen, God has revealed himself within our own nature, and we suppress that. God reveals himself in our consciences, and we suppress that. In every way, we are truth suppressors as it comes to God's revelation of himself. That's why the man that says that there is no God is a fool. Now, I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. That's what Psalm 19 says. That's what the Bible teaches. There are no real atheists, only exceedingly foolish truth suppressors. Men and women who claim that God does not exist, but all the while they know within themselves and from the world around them that he does, and they suppress what they know to be true. God's attributes are clearly demonstrated and are perceived, but nonetheless are suppressed. So the problem is not in God's revelation. It's not that God has not clearly revealed himself. God has clearly revealed himself to us. In all that is made and within our own hearts, God's revelation is absolutely sparklingly clear. The problem is not in the revelation. It's in the one perceiving that revelation. To put it another way, the radio signal is clear The problem is with the receiver of the signal. God has sent out his signal. It's clear as a bell. But we sinners, there's something wrong with us. We're fallen in sin, and we do not receive the signal that God has sent out. We suppress it. And that's why in apologetics, in the defense of the faith, there can be no neutral ground between the believer and the unbeliever. You can always know this about every unbeliever to whom you speak about the gospel that that unbeliever is rejecting what he deep down knows is true. You can know that about every sinner, every one of them. So that's the first thing that we see in this defection. We see that there is truth suppression, sinful ignorance, and then we see that man refuses 
this knowledge of God. Or we read in verse 21, uh, For although they knew God, genantes ton theon, knowing God, it's a participle, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so mankind knows God, and yet we refuse this knowledge. And as God has clearly revealed himself in nature, within our own constitution, as we are created in the image of God, and as we have refused that knowledge of him, it reveals the ingratitude of the human heart. So again, he says in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. We are filled with the knowledge of truth that we suppress, and in our ingratitude, we turn away from it. And we turn away from it into foolish rationalization. So in verse 22, the apostle says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now this morning in a class that I was privileged to teach on J. Russell Machen and the origin of Paul's religion, we spent a good deal of time showing what uh, the higher critical method had to say about the Apostle Paul. I'm sure that the class was struck, as I have been through the years, with the absolute foolishness of what these scholars claim about Pauline theology. The whole higher critical method is one way in which biblical studies has been filled with truth suppression. And that's simply the way it will be in every discipline. Foolish rationalization, refusing to believe in the supernaturalism, suppressing that truth. They look at Paul through naturalistic eyes and they try and find naturalistic explanations for his high view of Christ and they are incapable of doing so. So man actually thinks he's wise when he opposes God, when he denies God, when he sets up his theory of evolution, whatever it may be, his own philosophies, man thinks he's wise, but Paul says it's just a foolish rationalization. And then that leads to idolatry, of which we read in verses 23 and 25 exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. By the way, Paul can't speak of God without praising him, lifting him high, adoring him. In contrast to this denial of God by truth suppressors in this world, but idolatry. We have actually exchanged this glorious revelation of God, his divine nature, his attributes, the wonder of who he is. We have exchanged that. And we have become so debased that we will worship even four-footed beasts rather than worship the true and the living God. We worship anything and everything but the true and the living God. By the way, had we time... We could look at the word glory, image, likeness, and other references in Romans chapter 1, and we could see a clear connection to Genesis chapter 3, that he is without doubt speaking of the fall of man in Adam. Because we are fallen in Adam, we are truth suppressors, and we have become idolaters. 
And so this is the process of defection in which we suppress the truth, we refuse the knowledge of God, we are filled with ingratitude, we are foolish rationalizers, we are idolaters, and then the result is God lets men go. God lets men go. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up and the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God lets men go. And frankly, I hope that you see how dark indeed this is. And let the full impact fall upon you. I don't know anything in Holy Scripture that rings within my heart with uh, such a death knell as we find in this passage when three times God says, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. No evolution, my friend. Everywhere upward, better and better, no, Paul the Apostle describes a pit of depravity. And so in, 20, in verse 24, when we read for the first time, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, that should take us right back to verse 18, in which we read that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul the Apostle, as you know, proclaims that there is a day of wrath that is coming in the future, that Jesus will return in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. But the Apostle Paul is not saying that in verse 18 of Romans 1. He's not talking about the wrath that is coming. He says, and it's a present tense, that the wrath of God is being revealed right here and right now. God's wrath is at work now. God's work of judgment is taking place now. Yes, it points to that greater judgment in the future, but this present tense must be taken seriously. Wrath will be fully revealed at the end of the age, but God's wrath is revealed in the present. Well, how? I think that's why we turn to verses 24, 26, and 28, and we see that God gave them over. The word parodidomi, he gave them over. God simply lifts the restraints. A.T. Robertson says so profoundly, the words sound to us like clods on the coffin as God leaves men to work their own wicked will. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that this process of sin and defection from God, this truth suppression that is so deep, this rejection of his truth, this denial of his revelation, this suppression of what he has said concerning himself leads to sin. God gives them over to more sin and more sin and more sin and more sin. So to use the words of Charles Hodge, Sin is the punishment of sin. 
So someone says to you, oh, the wrath of God. You talk about the judgment of God. I don't see the wrath of God. Someone says to you, I don't see the judgment of God. Well, yes, you do. You see it here in this passage, and you see it in our culture. You see it in the lives of sinners all around us. You see it when you turn to your newspapers. Sin is the punishment of sin. Can you think of anything that is more deep and profound and wondrous than the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save us from something like this? Can you think of anything that is more deeply moving than to consider the plight of sinners as God gives them over and man's own sin is the further punishment of his sin? Second thing we see. God's wrath presently revealed, and we're going to turn to these verses. First, verse 24. God's wrath is presently revealed in the dishonoring of the body. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. The inside, the heart is impure. And this leads to a lack of self-control of the body. And the Apostle Paul has primarily in mind sexual sin in this passage. Perversion, sexual sin, sexual deviation. A.T. Robertson says, Heathenism left its stamp on the bodies of men and women. And we see it today. Christians have a high view of the place of the body. Christ was incarnate. He came in a body, he lived in a body, he rose physically in his body, he sits at the right hand of God in a body, he will come again in a body, he will raise our bodies. We have a high view of the body, but heathenism does not. Keep your finger here, look at a couple of passages about our bodies and sexual sin. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle Paul, I guess we should start with chapter 4, verse 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So the Christian has a high view of the body. For the Christian to act like the Gentile, act like the Greek, act like what we see in Romans chapter 1, is a denial of the gospel. We have a high view of the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, another passage, very familiar to you. 1 Corinthians 6, turn there. Shows another passage that references the high view of the body. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 13 and 14 in which he says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And notice your ESV puts that in quotes. That's not Paul's teaching. That's the slogan of those he's opposing. Oh, food for the body. Just live and let live. You know, use your body in any way that you please. And Paul says, and God will destroy both one and the other. And then he says in verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Can anything be more clear? The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And then we could turn to all the resurrection passages 
And we could say, as we look at them, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ, in union with Christ, will rise. And all of the resurrection passages also will demonstrate to us that we should have a high view of the body. Because the body is not made for fornication. In Ephesians chapter 2, turn there in the first three verses, uh, the apostle says this, speaking of the way we were before we came to Christ and were regenerated by the Spirit, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air of the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, wrath, wrath like the rest of mankind. So, when we see in our culture, turning back to Romans 1, sexually transmitted diseases, for example, this is simply because we are disregarding God's design for the body. The body is not meant for fornication. It's meant for the Lord. So God's wrath is presently being revealed when we look at our culture and we see the various ways in which we dishonor the body when the body is made for the Lord. God's wrath is also presently revealed in degrading desires, degrading desires that we see all in our culture and permeating the heart. Verse 26, look at it, Romans 1, 26. For this reason, God gave them up. This is the second reference to God giving them up. God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so God gave them up. Sin is the punishment of sin, and he gave them up unto vile passions. And he uses the word, first of all, phallus, female. He wants to emphasize, we're talking first of all about females who are acting contrary to what God intends and has designed in creation. And so he speaks of tribadism, lesbianism in this passage. Charles Hodge has this to say. Paul first refers to the degradation of females among the heathen because they are always the last to be affected in the decay of morals, and their corruption is therefore proof that all virtue is lost. Then in verse 27, he says, Likewise, men burned in lust one for another, doing that which was unseemly. The word actually means deformed. At least it's from a word that means deformed, that which is deformed. A.T. Robertson says, The debt will be paid in full. Nature will attend to that in their own bodies and souls. Homosexuality is a vile sin. It's not an unforgivable sin. But it ruins the body and it ruins the mind and it ruins the soul. 
In my studies and investigations of these things, I've come across things that just aren't said in the news media that are just not even mentionable from a pulpit. Homosexuality is not right. Homosexuality is not natural. Homosexuality is not normal. And homosexuality is presented by Paul as a special evidence of the degradation of a culture. So that when in our culture we have a government that desires to legalize gay marriage, I put that in quotes because it's not marriage, this is simply an evidence of the degradation of our culture and how our government officials, along with others, hate God. You cannot love God and promote that. It's hatred of God and hatred of his word and hatred of his revelation. It's truth suppression in the extreme. So where does that leave our culture? Well, God's wrath is being revealed. Sin is the punishment of sin. Those of you who recently listened to Dr. Butterfield, Dr. Butterfield's husband, Kent Butterfield, who, as you know, is a pastor in the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, very wisely directed her to Ezekiel 16. And if you read her book, she unpacks what her husband taught her about this passage. And in Ezekiel 16, we read in verse 48 and following, As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Now you expect it to say, here's the guilt of your sister Sodom. Sodom was involved in homosexuality. That's not what he says. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. Excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Now don't you find that fascinating and interesting? The point is that underneath the sin of homosexuality is pride and sinful indulgence. Homosexuality shows the deeper sin of rebellious pride. And let me say that it's become a very fashionable sin. I think that very often sins become faddish. And for many a young person today, this confusion has come into their lives and it has become a very fashionable kind of sin. Now, keeping your finger in Romans 1, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because I want to make this plain from the start, even though the Apostle Paul waits to talk about the gospel again for a good long time, I want to point this passage out to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul says, and he's talking here to the Corinthians, and you know that the Corinthians were involved in a culture that was saturated with sex and sexual abuse. So that to Corinthianize was a word that was used in the ancient world for sexual impurity. That's the kind of world in which the gospel came. And the good news is found in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, beginning with verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, 
nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. The gospel of God's sovereign grace is so powerful that it saved sinners in Corinth who had been sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy men, drunkards, revilers, and swindlers. God can save any sinner from his sin. And so God restores when he saves the sinner. God created man, male and female, and he redeems sinners, and he restores them to a right relation to him, and then to a right understanding and practice of what it means to be male and female. Don't buy this thing because someone's born that way, he'll stay that way, he can't be changed. We're all born sinners and God can save and transform any sinner. So we've seen how sin is the punishment of sin and God's wrath is being revealed in dishonoring the body and in degrading desires. And then we see the depths of depravity in verses 28 to 32. In verse 28, we see the third time that he mentions this God giving over. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So here again... He continues to lift the lid from the pit of the total depravity of man. Man refused God and enters the depths of depravity. God gives them over to a reprobate, a worthless, a debased mind, Paul says, to do those things that ought not to be done, so that we are by nature filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So he speaks of selfish greed. He uses the word kakia, malice, full of envy and murder, eris, rivalry, dolos, which means deceit. Actually, the word means bait, people that bait others. Malignity, whispers, meaning gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, huperephanos, Stuck up is what that means. You won't find it quite like that in the lexicon, but that's what it means. Stuck up people. Allah's own boastful. Inventors of new vices. Disobedient parents. Yeah, that's in the list. Undiscerning. Treacherous. Astorgas. Devoid of natural affections. You know what that literally means? It means no love for family. 
We live in a day of abortion on demand. No love for family. Merciless. A.T. Robertson said the late Dr. R.H. Graves of Canton, China, said that a Chinaman who got hold of this chapter declared that Paul could not have written it because only a modern missionary who had been in China could have written it. It is drawn to life, says Robertson, because Paul knew pagan Greco-Roman civilization. So this Chinese, this missionary to China says, someone in China said, Paul couldn't have written this. Somebody had to have come to China to write this. That was in 1931. But now we read this list and we say the United States of America, 2013. China? It's here. It's now. And do people really know that God is going to punish them? Look at verse 32. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Yes, we know. Verse 18, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Of course, men and women know when we sin that God hates it. Of course, our culture knows deep down within that there is a true and living God that hates the direction in which we're going. Yes. That's why people are guilty. Where do you think guilt comes from? Guilt comes from breaking the law of God. Why do we feel guilty? Because we know there's a God, because eternity is written on the heart. Because God's wrath is at work. So to be faithful to this text, I want to be sure that I do not tone it down one bit, but present the passage in all of its ugliness, frankly. It's God's word. The word is not ugly, but the description of our culture is ugly. And this is our fallen world. This is the culture in which our churches are presenting the gospel of Christ and preaching the word. This is the culture in which our children are growing up. But remember, not only do we find the word revealed in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed against all of the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But will you remember that in the preceding verses, he's used the term revealed? Not only is God's wrath revealed, But the gospel is being proclaimed in our culture. And we read in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in that gospel, the righteousness of God, the justifying righteousness, the righteousness that can declare us right with God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. There's that word, revealed. From faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So concurrently with the revelation of God's wrath in our culture is the mercy of God revealing in our culture the good news of salvation in Christ. Now that's what Paul wants us to see. That this black backdrop shows forth the brilliant diamond of the gospel of free grace. 
And so may we preach the uncompromising gospel against the backdrop of the truth about the state and standing of sinners. And if there's someone here on this evening, and as we read this passage, the Holy Spirit has opened the depravity of your heart, lifted the lid so that you catch a glimpse of what it is to stand under the judgment of God. And you can say that the wrath of God is revealed in my body, in my degrading thoughts, in the way in which I am practicing life, whether it be the sin of homosexuality or disobedience to parents. They're all in the list, showing the depravity of the heart. Then come to Jesus. Turn from your sin. Repent. Believe in this gospel that is revealed and that is proclaimed this evening by his messenger. May the Lord bless this exposition of his word. Amen.